Thank you for tuning in to the best parenting show on the internet. Post Daily Dose. Hey there, Post Institute. This is Christy Saul, the co-founder, coming at you live with another episode of Post Daily Dose, the best little parenting show on the internet. I hope everybody is doing wonderful this evening. I'm going to promote these books real quick while folks are signing in. Brian's book, From Fear to Love. We do still have this on promotion the website, the promotional website is feartolovebook.com. And then we got this great little book right here, The Great Behavior Breakdown. Uh, on postinstitute.com, I have these two bundled. Do, 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 do. You can find this one at postinstitute.com, also on Amazon. And the same for this wonderful workbook. And I swear this week I'm going to get it done. The project. Hey, Debbie Fitz, how are you, my darling? Uh, I see it tells me you're watching. So even without you saying hello, I can call you out and say howdy ho. Uh, I swear this week I am going to get it done. The project of getting these three put into a bundle on the website so I can add a little discount for you guys. Um, that workbook is really incredible. So I am looking forward to it getting into people's hands. So my topic tonight actually comes out of, um, this is so funny to me. Out of a um, Facebook post from April the 23rd. So that was um, Thursday last week, I believe. And here's the post. Um, yes, uh, this is me. You're, it's quoting me. And I'm like, oh my God, right? Uh, we get angry when we feel our children are manipulating us. Um, and that is a big, kind of a big topic in the arena, especially of adoption and foster care. Uh, we get angry when we feel our children are manipulating us, but we fail to see that formulated consequences and rewards are also manipulation. Let's call it what it is. So, uh, yeah, let's call it what it is. I mean, it is what it is. Um, you know, my makes right. I'm bigger than you are, so I'm going to spank you, and that is going to manipulate you into doing what I think you ought to do. Um, I am bigger than you, and I can ground you. So I'm going to ground you and that's going to make you do what it is I think you need to do. All of these are different forms of consequences and rewards. And yeah, it's manipulation. So, so what? So it's manipulation. So what? I mean, if it's working for you and your family and you still have good quality relationships, that is awesome. Lots of kids. In fact, I would go as far as to guess probably 95% of kids out there do fine with consequences and rewards. They probably even do okay with being sent to time out. They may even do okay with spanking because they have strong relationships. They have strong pre-birth and early life blueprints. They have a well-formed emotional regulatory system. So those forms of correction can be affected for them. But for the 10%, that's who I'm talking to, the 10%. Um, what I found interesting though, and I always do, I kind of got a little chuckle, was you know all the, the comments about, I disagree, there need to be consequences. If we don't give consequences, how are they gonna learn? Na, 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 na. And then um, in all of the comments, uh, somebody actually said, if we are not using formulated consequences, punishment, stickers and stars, um, then, how, then, then how do we teach? 
And I felt like that was just a beautiful, simple question. The problem is that it's not just a cut and dry answer. There's so many different pieces of that equation. So tonight, I think I'm gonna just start, we're going. We're probably gonna talk about this a few times, but we'll see how far we get tonight. So the first thing to think about is, what is the source of this behavior that you feel like needs to be addressed? So what I find happens very frequently is that children get punished for doing something that an adult thought the child knew better than to do. So how would we get the idea that we thought a child would know better than to do that? Well, maybe we've taught them, maybe we've told them with our words. So what? How old is the child and what did they do? So that's my next question, because if you're talking about uh, a child who's chronologically younger than five or a child who's older but is prone to emotional regression because of trauma, then let's always look at that emotional age. And for some people, their emotional and chronological ages match, and that's great. So if we're talking about really young children, first of all, um, did they fully understand what you taught? Did they, um, did what you teach, did it get solidified in them? Because a lot of times young children get in trouble for doing something out of curiosity. They do something, they get into something out of curiosity, and then they get punished. And the situation is they're little children. Their brains aren't formed the same way older children and adults' brains are. They don't necessarily understand why you told them not to do X, Y, Z. They're impulsive. They're emotion, emotional. Their emotional brains, like our emotional brains and our logical brains, our emotional brains tend to be stronger anyway. But when you're little, you're 100% emotional and you're 100% curious. So let me put it to you like this. If you left the Sharpie out and then they colored all over the carpet and you think that they should be punished because they colored all over the carpet and they're three, I would venture to say that you as the adult should be the one who gets punished if somebody needs a consequence or a reward for their behavior. It would be the adult who left the Sharpie out, right? So we have to think about how old is the child, what did they do, and who was really responsible for that situation to begin with. A lot of times we are placing children in situations that are beyond their emotional maturation. And when we do that, we have to take responsibility, in my opinion, as adults then we have to take responsibility for the situation that we've placed our child in. So, you got to make sure you put those Sharpies up. You know, we can't, when you're a parent, like you can, you don't have the luxury of just like living all willy-nilly anymore, you know, because that's just a potential mess. You know, you got to put your paints up. You got to put your markers up. You got to put things out of reach. Now, I know that there are some kids 
who literally can like climb up that. I mean, I saw a video on Facebook of this little girl. She was scaling the refrigerator. She had this way she could put her foot in the little hand rest thing and then she could climb up and then she was getting all of the sweet treats off of the top shelf up above the refrigerator. And I'm like, wow. So what do you do? Kids need a whole lot of supervision, don't they? I mean, a whole lot of supervision. And there's going to be times when things happen, especially if you have more than one child. You have an infant and you have a four-year-old and you're changing the infant's diaper. And, you know, hopefully we can just bring that four-year-old in right there next to you. They can be helping you. They can get you. Can you get me this? Can you get me that? But you know, the minute that that four-year-old who can scour up that refrigerator, get those cookies, boy, the minute you are occupied and you can't get there, then they are likely to scour right up there. So do you punish? Do you give a consequence? Do you give a reward? How do you address that? For me, I feel like, um, like in that, like I'm just thinking about that situation in particular. One, I'd like to try to prevent it because I would like to try to keep that four-year-old right there with me. Now, if the four-year-old isn't right there with me and that four-year-old scours right up there and gets those cookies, then I'm probably going to just address it by like, well, hon, I hope you enjoyed your cookie because that you get, you know, one treat a day and that was your treat and I hope you loved it and tomorrow you can have another. And then I would take those same cookies and I would put them someplace else. Actually, I'd probably throw them away because they're too, too much of a temptation. It's being proven by this child's behavior that those cookies are gonna get her in trouble over and over and over and over again. And so because of that, I would simply just say, man, we're not gonna get cookies and have them in the house anymore. If we want a cookie, we will get a cookie. We will get a cookie. We will buy a cookie. Instead of having a package of cookies, that are super tempting, and then we end up in these all these conflicts about, you know, well, you got the cookie, and they're, they're, did you get up there and get the cookie? And of course, they're gonna lie. Their mouth is full of cookies. They look like little chipmunks. There's cookie crumbs all around. I, I don't get no cookies. I don't know nothing about no cookies, right? I mean, so we could just avoid, we could sidestep all of that until we are at a place where our children are mature enough to resist the temptations of certain things like the cookies or the candy or whatever sugar's so addictive. It's like, I, I mean, let's just be honest. It's hard for us as adults to say no to sugar. It's a real setup for our kids when those treats are there and we're trying to teach them impulse control over something that is literally one of the absolute most addictive chemicals in our food chain. So, now nah, probably I wouldn't. That like to me, I just I find that especially for our 10%, that relationship is so important and relationship is the avenue for so many things that I want to try to avoid that mindset of punishment, consequences and rewards. I want to like, just like that four-year-old, I want to create a situation where that four-year-old wants to be right there with me. Like I said, you know, so I'm distracted because I've got more than one child. Well, I want to bring, I just want to have them be right there with me. And if I, if they're, if I know 
Like if I literally know that this is the thing that this little girl's gonna climb up, I don't I just keep going back to that because it just like I was so amazed. That little girl's gonna climb up and get those cookies out, you know, scouring up like she's with the FBI or something, the SWAT team. Then I am probably going to just take a whole different strategy about that. In fact, I might even bring the cookies into my bedroom. And so then when I'm changing my toddler, who who would be the distraction, then I might just go ahead and give my little four-year-old a little half a cookie or a little mini cookie or a little Hershey's Kiss or something like that while they're sitting in there. So I'm not setting up a, a situation that invites that level of sneakiness. So when I, that's just like one example. But knowing uh, Chrissy's talking, so I, I see some comments. So I want to get to him because I know you guys always really bring really good uh, food to the table. Food for thought, food for us to address and talk about. Okay, so I've scrolled up enough to, I think I see where the comments started. Uh, what's your advice for an 11-year-old boy who is an instigator will follow siblings around trying to start an argument? Uh, the first thing I would suggest would be to watch Brian's video about sibling rivalry, and I reposted it, so it's within the last week or so on our Facebook page. But this sounds like a situation where he might be instigating, one, a few things. One is there are some children that have experienced trauma in the womb and early in life, and that vibration of friction, the vibration of conflict is something that feels good to them. And when I've talked to other families about it, something to look at is just like you think about music taste for us as adults or for older kids. Some people love screamo. Some people love rap just as hard as you can get it, right? Because it fits something in them neurologically. It fits a vibration that they have experienced before. So people who are instigators tend to be people, they like to stir the pot and then they like to sit back and watch everybody bubble over because one, there's elements of control. And so when we have issues of control, they tend to be rooted in issues of safety. So when there are things going on, like a child who always needs to be in control, and that control could even be instigating with the siblings. Issues of control are rooted in issues of safety. So that's one piece. The other piece, sometimes with sibling rivalry, that instigation can be a way of getting everybody stirred up so somebody else gets in trouble and not them because they're always feeling like, you know, the problem, which is not anything anybody wants to feel like. And so there's kind of this payoff of somebody else getting activated and then getting in trouble. So addressing the sibling rivalry, the undercurrent, the sense of lack, the sense of safety, those are two. So if you think about that, Valerie, as you think about that and let that percolate, if that resonates as being accurate, then speaking directly into that piece of sibling rivalry, the piece that says, um, I get the feeling you must be feeling, like you must be feeling kind of scared because there's, like you're always needing to be in control. Um, like you don't trust when other people are in control. Just speaking out loud what it is that you sense is the root issue. Um, if it's in fact, and um, especially 
This is something that I'm seeing very frequently, especially children who have been exposed to meth and cocaine and those upper types of drugs in the womb. That feels real familiar to them. And I actually have encouraged families to go on YouTube and watch videos of adults who have been videoed while they're tweaking because it gives you, if you're not familiar with how people behave while they're on meth, it will give you an idea of what that womb experience might have been like. So neonatal abstinence syndrome is the medical term. Um, not all children go through full-blown withdrawals after birth, but many have had uh, lots of exposure to meth, crack, coke, all those kind of agitating those are agitating, neurologically agitating drugs. People stay up for several days in a row. They're busy, busy, busy. They're like, you know, people be like, I clean all the time and I don't eat and da 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 da, da you know. Um, and so when you think of what that experience, what that does, what those drugs do, and you think about being a baby in the womb and your brain is being developed in that environment, that's a really significant piece. What science calls that uh, in general is a malformed emotional regulatory system, which is such a vague term, isn't it? Malformed emotional regulatory system. So there are parts of the brain that um, are responsible for being able to regulate emotion and they are not properly formed because of the womb experience and the womb environment. Those kids really have to have a lot of supervision and a lot of activity. If they don't have something to do, they will find something to do. And a lot of times the finding something to do means agitating because that, that energetic vibration is very familiar to them. So my recommendation in general for those specific kids is to really find out what's their thing. And I would even go as far as to say, let school be school. If they can maintain in school, that is awesome. And when they are out of school, whatever their thing is, like if they're into skateboarding, then we go to the skate park and we're doing that until it's pretty much time to go to bed. Or, you know, a lot of those kids end up being the same people who are like the X game, you know, the X game athletes the dirt bikers, the mountain bikers, the people who have a really strong um, tolerance for risk-taking, that's the same, that's the same, it can potentially be the very same person. So when you really look at, I gave you a lot of layers. So we've got the, the womb potential and if there's been drug exposure, that's something to definitely consider because that is, um, a way that the brain is formed and that's really important to learn about and give credibility to. Then the next piece is, is this something to do with the fact that they enjoy? I remember there was a young man, Marley and I, and he, this was back in Virginia, we were taking a walk and this was that kid. He literally picked a fight with a little dog. He like antagonized this little dog to get the little dog going and then it just gave him, it just gave him the biggest kick to be able to get that dog that amped up. And so you see where that piece of control and the ability to have that sort of influence on other people. And even, you know, even speaking about that, even speaking like, hon, I see that you really get a kick out of getting everybody amped up. 
I don't know how that's going to serve you when you're out with your friends. Like, how's that going to work out? And so helping them have a little bit of insight, bringing these subconscious things to more of their conscious awareness. Um, those would be, that would be kind of the starting point, Valerie, for addressing that. Um, and I know there's a lot of you who have that. I know a lot of you, have, even the ones who are watching, like, yeah, you've got kids like that. You've got kids like that. Yes, it's a big deal. Um, Christy said, Christy's asking, I don't put uh, Jay in timeout or punish him. If he is engaged in behaviors that may hurt him or he's dysregulated, I may take it, I may take it or redirect him, help him calm down and then give it back. But people outside of our life don't understand. That's true. They don't. A lot of people don't understand the impact of trauma and they don't understand when a person is triggered and they are emotionally regressed. They don't understand that sometimes our children display a behavior that's triggered straight out of trauma and in that moment they are literally fighting for their life, which is why teaching this information and people understanding that trauma, especially pre-birth and early life trauma, affects hormones. It affects the um, neurotransmitters that help us be able to, it affects our amygdala, it affects our oxytocin release mechanisms. It affects so many parts of human development. It is so important, healthy pregnancies Healthy, safe pregnancies are so important. They're so important. Uh, having safe, healthy living situations, especially in the formative years, in that zero to around three, four, it's so important because that's when the brain is forming. And it's so detrimental when trauma is occurring during that time. And so you're right. Chrissy, a lot of people don't understand this, and that's why trauma-informed education at the school system level, at the medical level for nurses and doctors and uh, and what the PAs, all of that group of people really need to understand. Um, our daycare centers really need to understand. Our, um, our little league coaches really need to understand our churches really need to understand all of these places that children are served in really need to have this bit of information so that they can pour in. What we tend to do in our culture is we push people away when their behaviors are disruptive. A stressed out, an acting out child is a stressed out child. That's what Brian says. I remember like, I don't know, something I was re-listening to and he was just like, Remember this, an acting out child is a stressed out child. An acting out child is a stressed out child. Address the stress, address the stress and diminish the stress and the behavior will diminish. Inject your calm. Your calm has the ability to create calm. Does that mean it's always gonna be easy? Oh, let me tell you, no. No, because we're human too and we get tired and our lids get flipped and we're like, oh, but we had all these plans and we have three of our kids who are ready to go on this great outing, but we have these two over here who were so stressed out about the outing that we're getting ready to go on that now we're all sitting here because we can't figure out what to do because these two over here are just bouncing off the walls and I know I can't take them to the zoo like this. Yeah, I get it. It's a big deal. <laughs> 
it's a big deal and it can be really complicated, but that still doesn't mean that giving consequences and rewards is gonna get you where you wanna go. So that's the thing. The thing is, is I'm not denying the level of difficulty at all. I'm not denying that at all. Yes, we need a lot of other people in the world to have this understanding so that we can build new neurological pathways, so that we can build stronger relationships, because it's through the building of the relationships that we're gonna be able to help create new pathways in the brain. If we're just pushing them away and punishing, then we're just reaffirming the belief that they hold within themselves that they are not good enough and they're not valuable and they're not worthy, that those rejection blueprints, all of that, all of that bottom foundation of the Maslow's hierarchy, food, clothing, shelter, uh, stable health, safety, all of those pieces become so important in the lives of our children that when there's fragments in that part of the foundation and all these things that I'm telling you about how trauma changes the brain. And if you're living this life, you know that I'm telling you, you know, you could give all the stickers and stars in the world. And a lot of times that just ends up being gasoline on a stressed out brain. And some child who's already stressed out and then you go and you say, well, I guess you're not gonna get that ice cream cone because you can't act right. Blah! Right? So let's just sidestep that. Let's just sidestep that because it, for this 10%, we're literally talking about a hidden disability. It is a hidden disability because the emotional regulatory system has not had an opportunity for proper formation, all because of trauma. So I wanna read a few more of the comments, but no impulse control, life is so hard, yes, yes. Uh, Rebecca says, most expectations led to disappointment, connection over correction, model over teach, parenting is hard, being a kid is harder, uh, yes. Hey, Mimi. Let's see, reading through, reading through, reading through. Uh, would that in utero drug exposure cause later sleep disturbances in teens? Uh, very possibly. Um, it very possibly could. Um, some of the, I really feel like um, magnesium gliconate, I, and I think, Joni, I think you've actually looked at that because um, I put it, the link in at another time. Magnesium gliconate and um, L-theanine are two really good supplements that can help with sleep and anxiety. Um, understanding that um, serotonin, dopamine, GABA, glutamine, all are things that can affect sleep. And Joni, without knowing more, yes, the in utero drug exposure could cause sleep disturbances in teens. I'm also like, of course, I'm wondering how long has this child been in your home? Are the sleep disturbances new? Or is this an old pattern that has just continued for a long time? I'd want to know a whole lot more. But when you think about um, one of the things that all of that stuff that I talked about, neurotransmitters and hormones, um, they have an impact on our ability to focus, on our on our circadian rhythms and our sleep, being able to get into REM sleep, um, being able to be in connected relationship. All of those things, all of those behaviors are directly affected 
by hormones and neurotransmitters. So not only does trauma affect structures in the brain, like the hypothalamus and the amygdala and the prefrontal cortex, but it also affects neurotransmitters and it affects hormones. It, it, Marciaxinus says it like this, the baby's brain is being prepared for the world it will be born to. So speaking of the womb experience, so even high stress pregnancies can cause difficulties with those parts of our bio, biology, biochemistry, our brain structures, the whole thing. Um, let's see, let's see. So also, um, you know, there's some things like maybe foot massage. Um, there's a magnesium spray that I know a lot of people have good success with, Jody. So I'm thinking, you know, sometimes teens, they're not interested in like the snuggly cuddly anymore. They're, they're, their biology is pushing them towards autonomy, but they may be able to tolerate a foot rub. And so you might start putting into practice. Um, there's a drink mix for that um, magnesium glyconate and L-theanine. And so you might do the drink mix about an hour before it's bedtime. And then part of bedtime may include some time in what that 10 minutes where you're just pouring love into him and whether that is with your words or just the position of your heart and it could include maybe a foot rub maybe a leg rub maybe a back rub touch can be a really good avenue to create soothing obviously you know are they staying up on electronics because that can really keep our brain hyper stimulated i'm telling you i've recently become addicted to a game and I'm like, oh my God, it's where you sort the little balls into the beakers. It's some kind of sorting puzzle game and it's mindless. And it's become something that I've been doing just to sort of in my downtime, like my brain, I'm finding it to be better than social media for me. But at the same time, you know, it's, it's not good. It's not healthy. <laughs> so I'm going to have to step away from that too. So electronics, when they're turning their electronics off, and then I know that that can become a real battle the battle of nighttime electronics and the, I mean, it used to be the 10 to 2, 10 at night to 2 o'clock in the morning teen drama hour. I think now it's probably more like 11 at night to 4 in the morning uh, if it's a Friday night or a Saturday night easily. And they're all, you know, they're all getting all revved up through their social media platforms. And then, of course, it's going to be really difficult, really difficult to go to sleep to shut it down. Um, I want to scroll through to see if there's any other comments. It feels like a lonely battle sometimes when I work so hard to build those connections and then he goes to school. It, it can be so difficult. And sometimes, um, and Chrissy, I, I, you know, I loved talking with you last night. It was wonderful. I'm glad we had that opportunity. Sometimes there's so much, there's so, the, the layers of complex health issues, loss, grief can all be so much that I really find it helpful to give some choice to our kids in those situations. I, I know you guys are not going to believe that I really am a huge advocate for education. I think education is incredible. I think being able to go to school with your peers is an awesome experience if it's awesome for you. But I know for some children, it feels like torture. They are in such a difficult place in their emotions and in their health 
in their mental health, that I feel like in those situations, we really need to consider what's the most important thing. And if school is, I mean, the, the statistics tell us that suicidal ideation and suicide attempts are higher while school's in session because that's additional stress. It can also be additional bullying. It can be additional, a lot of things. So to just really be thoughtful about what's really in the best interest of my child right now, because you know, we gotta address first things first and keeping them safe and helping them be as healthy as they possibly can is, is that's gotta be the first thing. This has to be the first piece. Um, children can't even, they can't really even effectively learn we're in, when they're in that state of amygdala hijack, just repeatedly, repeatedly, repeatedly. And so um, I feel like sometimes we can advocate at the school level. This is going a lot longer, but hey, let's just keep going. Sometimes we can advocate at the school level for uh, different types of educational tracks because of um, the physical health or, and I hate the fact that we, we use terms like physical health and mental health as if they're different things because they're the same thing. It's both physical. It is a physical reality. When I tell you that trauma changes the structures in your brain, it changes your hormones and it changes your, um, your neurotransmitters, that's as physical as it could possibly be. Yet we talk about mental health as if it's like, oh, it's just all in your head. No, it's not all in your head. And the things that happen in your head are not necessarily connected to anything in your head. It can actually be connected to stuff that's in your gut. That's where your serotonin is absorbed and, and created. So we are a complex system. We are a whole being. Our mental health is a physical, real thing. There. <laughs> and so sometimes we may need to have uh, like... They used to call it homebound school where a child might be, they maybe had an injury or maybe they have an illness. Like maybe they had mono back, you know, I'm just thinking about other, maybe they have a, a significant illness that they need to be home. And so the school would send all the work home and a teacher would come uh, every two or three days to check and make sure they're making progress. Or maybe we just need to say, mm -mm, that is not the priority right now. None of that. And just trust that they're learning and they're going to learn what they need to learn. But right now, what they need is just wellness and us to focus on their wellness. Can you imagine? I mean, you talk to any adult who's living in chronic pain or with ongoing depression and anxiety and the battle they put in to go to work. It's so tough. And yet we don't always give our kids that same grace of understanding that many of them have experienced so much, so, so much. And all at the time that's so critical during their brain development that we just need to give them some time. I've known a lot of kids who took a gap year in high school or junior high. Like kids who lost their parent, maybe somebody died in their family. Maybe they came from extreme trauma and they've needed just a year off to just be, literally be, sleep, eat, bathe when they can, and just breathe and get well and be loved and accepted right where they are. There is tremendous healing in that. 
And from that place of healing, then the next steps of learning and growth and connection can come. So, um, it's so sad that there's massive lack of support for families in our society. Yes, so much. It is. It is. Okay, you guys, I am definitely going to read through your comments and some of it, I'm sure we're going to, this is going to be a topic. We're just going to make this our topic for the week. We're just going to talk more and more. And so if you have specific behaviors that you are having challenges with, if you want to message me, that would be great. But one of the things I want you to know is in our model, it's not necessarily going to be about me saying you should do X, Y, Z, because how you do in your family is unique to your family. But maybe being able to look at how do we understand the behavior, where do we take responsibility as adults, and how do we perceive our children. And from that place, I think we can come up with some creative guidance, keeping them close, they probably need you more than you realize. They probably need more time with you, more connection with you. Like they literally just almost need to be in your back pocket unless they're um, 14 or 15. Um, that's just because they need that much time to learn and to grow and to benefit from having an emotionally regulated adult who is their who is their emotion, that external emotional regulatory figure. Now, does that mean that they always have to be like right next to you? Not necessarily, but you know, a door may need to be open. You may need to be checking on them every hour or so if they're, you know, 12 and 13. Um, you know, keep them close, keep your finger on the pulse because regression can happen really quick and then all kinds of things happen from that place. Again, I can't wait to read through your comments. I love it. Thank you guys for hanging with a little bit of an extended version. And we'll just keep talking about that. This is going to be our topic for the week. What to do if we're not using consequences, rewards, and punishment to help our children have more, more appropriate behavior for the situations that they're in. I think I like saying it like that to have appropriate behavior for the situations that they're in. So if you've not already done so today, said everything you've been thinking about, stressing about, fussing about, feeling mundane about, just press pause on all of it. Take some deep breaths. Put everything in perspective. If it's not life and death, let us not turn it into that. If it's not life and death, let's not turn it into it. Some things are just not more important than your children feeling how much you love them. So, get yourself calm. Get yourself grounded. Go spend some time with your children. Let them see the love you have from them. Let, it, let them see it shine from your eyes. Let them feel it. Let them feel that energy of adoration of how you just adore their quirkiness and how much confidence you had, they're gonna make it, they're gonna make it, yeah. You know, it may be hard, maybe hard finding what their niche is or niche, whichever you prefer, what their thing is, but we're not gonna give up on that. And just enjoy them. Go spend time doing whatever they love, especially if you've been doing school stuff all day, 
They need to have opportunities every day to do things where they feel successful and competent and capable and their star, their little star power can shine. So whether that's taking a walk, whether that's going to look at pretty flowers, whether it's collecting random rocks, whether it's flopping on the bed, whether it's watching TV together, cooking together, creating together, doesn't make any difference. What matters is that they feel and see that look in your eye of how much you love them. And remember, in any given moment, we can act out of blueprints of stress and fear and overwhelm. We can all flip our lid. We can take one to two to three deep breaths. We can choose love. Much love to you guys. Have a blessed evening and we'll see y'all tomorrow.